2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Uh, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray. Uh, again, Father, we ask you to bless uh, the, the remaining uh, minutes of our time together and pray that you would be glorified by our diving into your word. I pray that uh, we would be faithful with it and I pray that we would be faithful in our application of it uh, in the days to come. In your son's name, amen. I want to close with one um, uh, final look at the, the subject of education. In particular, I want to ask the question of what is the purpose of education? Why, why do we do education? And to do that, two, um, I want to make two main points about modern American education. Uh, that I, and I think that um, this is a big part of the, the um, and this is 100 years old, uh, how education has been flipped against us and why we need to really drill down in recovering a distinctively Christian understanding of education. First of all, um, I would argue that we believe that the primary purpose of an education here in America, the primary purpose of an education is to prepare you for the workforce. Um, if I go onto a, a college campus anywhere in America and I ask 100 students on the typical American college campus, why are you going to college? What's the point of this? Um, well over 90 of those 100, and I wouldn't be surprised if all 100 gave this answer. Um, the answer would be, so that I can get a good job. It, it's you go to college in order to get a good job. And it's frustrating because um, we would all say that, and yet I think if we step back and talk about a little bit about how education has worked out in our own lives, we would probably see uh, all the refutations of that claim. We just tend to think that we're somehow the exception and that for everybody else, that's the way it works. Uh, what I mean by that is, most of us know that after being in the workforce for some time, that's just not really how a college degree works. What I mean by that is if I said, um, and I'm speaking of college here, but I think that you can easily expand this to K to 16. I think um, increasingly all the way down into secondary and even down into elementary school, we have this, this idea that school is really about getting you ready to get particular um, jobs. Um, but the weird thing is, if I go around the room and I ask everybody here, okay, all right, what's the, um, what is the primary skill that you perform every day at the office? And then I ask you, and what is your, um, your, the name of your bachelor's degree? Um, and do those line up? For most of us, they don't. Every now and then, uh, you get a clear correspondence. I think primarily uh, if you're uh, in, in a form of engineering or if you have a job in nursing, then your, the name of your undergraduate probably lines up pretty closely with the primary skill at the office now. Outside of those two fields, most of us don't have that correspondence. And even in those two fields, I'd argue that it's pretty rare that the correspondence is, is that clear. Um, so my, for instance, my undergraduate degree, uh, uh, chemistry education, I'm the president of a liberal arts college now. Um, most of us, are, our college degree does not actually act as this clear, this is the identified skills, and this is now uh, the path that I have for life. And yet, that's kind of what we expect for everybody else. How will you get a job if you don't have a degree with that, with that name in it? And I, I would argue that, that um, 
many have given up the notion that they would actually learn something in college. They're not going to actually like learn anything. What they're going for is to get the piece of paper that gets you that job. We believe that there's a piece of paper that you have to have in order to get that particular career. And so a lot of strategies around education now are less about learn, you know, going to be educated. They're more about figuring out um, the cheapest and fastest pathway to that piece of paper that allows you to enter into the workforce and get the career that you know you need to have. Um, so we've given up learning and we're looking for the fastest and cheapest way to get that degree that opens the door to a career. Um, even those that I think are a fan of the education that they received would want to qualify a bit the claim that their college degree taught them everything they needed to learn to do their job. It just isn't that simple. I think in general, when you, even if you get a degree that lines up with your job, what you find is when you show up to the job, most of what you learned in college does not actually apply in the workforce. And it's the first six months or first year on the job that you actually learn how to do the job. The actual professional skills are best learned in on-the-job training. Now, that's not to say that your college um, education was pointless. I would argue that my chemistry degree was immensely helpful. I've never touched a test tube since the day I walked out of uh, college or balanced a, a, a chemical equation. I've, I've not touched chemistry from that day on. But I would say that the discipline of learning how to, um, you know, ha having a, a problem that was a problem that could not be solved in 15 minutes, that was a problem that would take you several weeks to get through. It was one where you have to like erase so many times that you've erased through the paper um, until you finally get it right. The mental discipline that I learned in, in chemistry has been immensely valuable. Um, I did a doctoral dissertation at Oxford where it was four years of trying to work through a very particular question. Or every time I do sermon prep, where it's multiple days trying to set it all out and make sense of the text and put it all together, I draw on the skill that I learned in that chemistry degree. But it's not because the professional skills that were identified there are the professional skills I use. It's something much, much deeper. And so a lot of people will appreciate their education while not necessarily using it in the way that we, we tend to think that the education is supposed to work. Um, now, I would argue that... Um, this, this um, idea that, that you need to get this degree to get this job, that this degree gives you this piece of paper in order to give you this job, that is a, um, that's a fiction, and I think that it's largely created by the education industry. Um, I get to speak critically of all, <laughs> all of my colleagues, all, all college presidents, that I think that there's kind of a lie that is manufactured here, where there's this idea that like, Okay, so this degree gets you that job. And, and I think what's actually happening is um, by, by being able to make that little equation there, we're able to say, okay, um, this job, let's say you want to be, you're going to get a job um, as, uh, you know, this kind of engineer. Then I can say that kind of engineer gets this salary. This salary right, is what you get then if you get this degree. So we go back to the beginning of this degree and you're looking at this degree and you're looking at the tuition that it's going to cost and you're looking at the massive student loans you're going to have to take out in order to get this degree. 
I can talk you into signing up for a ridiculous amount of student loan debt by projecting out this return on your initial investment and saying like, you'll get this salary, so that's why this makes sense. And it really is, it's crazy if you think about the student loan thing where it's like the one debt where you, the way you qualify for it is by showing that you have zero capacity to pay anything, right? You, know, you, you showing how financially hopeless you are is how you get a whole bunch of this student loan debt. So, so you have to have this great argument to get people like that to take out massive debt. So we can say, all right, here's the return on the investment. You, this, this degree gets you this job and it'll get you that salary. That's why you wanna be 150 grand in debt um, at, a, at a very young age. I think that that's the, that's the kind of logic, at least from the college perspective, that's why we want to make the world think that that you have to come to my school and you have to take out this loan because the workforce is closed to you unless you get this one piece of paper that I can get you. And this piece of paper will open up this great salary for you. Um, William Bennett, Secretary of Education under Reagan, um, he, he, had, he came up with something called the Bennett Hypothesis, which is simply that increases in federal money in education actually just raise tuition. Um, so for instance, one of the, one of the, the things that's in the current um, $3.5 trillion uh, um, spending bill that we have in front of us, one of the proposals in there is the doubling of the Pell Grant. And that's what a bunch of the colleges are arguing. We have to double the Pell Grant to make this affordable and open up doors for uh, American students. What will happen if that's passed is you will see just college tuition go whoop like that. Um, because colleges are businessmen um, and, uh, you know, first rule of business, you don't leave money on the table. If you, if you come, let's say, let's say you're coming to um, buy a car that I was going to sell for five grand, but I find out that you came with 10 grand in cash, um, we know that the price just went up. Oh, what do you know? The car is $10,000. Um, if you come to the school, and this is the great thing about financial aid is that you have to disclose all of your, all of your spending capacity and whatnot, and then the school gets to sit and negotiate what kind of tuition price you're going to pay, all right? With, if, this, if the federal government doubles the Pell Grant, what will happen to tuition? Tuition is just gonna climb to capture that money because you, um, you don't leave any money on the table. Um, so um, uh, expect to see tuition go uh, into a steep climb um, shortly. Anyhow, aside from the financial screwiness, because that's kind of a whole rabbit trail we could run down, I think the much deeper problem here is the way that we, we have come to believe that we, we think of like the economy, we think of the American economy as like this whirring machine. There's this machine and it's jobs and it's uh, the economy and everything over here is this really complicated machine. Entrance into that machine is the right college diploma. This is, this is the, I think, the fiction that we're telling, that entrance into that machine is the right college diploma. Failure to get the right degree, um, like let, let's say your job as a parent then is kind of like to make sure your kid gets the right diploma. Because if you get them a really, good, um, a really good education, you get them a degree in computer engineering or like last no, two years ago, it was all about cybersecurity. You got a degree in cybersecurity, then, then they, they, they are like basically crafted into this perfect cog. And when you offer them up to the machine, the machine will 
gladly take them and they'll enter into the machine and they'll begin worrying within the machine and everything will be good. But let's say you do the wrong thing and let's say you got them um, a, a degree in uh, philosophy, okay? And then you take them and you offer that up to the degree or up to the machine, the machine will, will like reject them and they'll be ting, and they'll go shooting off and they'll never go into the machine and they'll be a barista for life over there. And that's, <laughs> that's it because it's the rest of their life they're saying, would you like fries with that? Because you got them the wrong degree so they didn't get access um, to the machine. Um, but the terrible thing here is that by allowing this transition to happen as Christians, what's happened is we have conceded that the formation of our children's minds should be dominated by concerns for employment. We, we have really in an unthinking way allowed us to, to believe that really our priority as we're raising this child is about making sure that they are um, finely crafted and honed in such a way that this machine will accept them. And then our education is primarily about that, about getting them the right certifications so that they can be received by the machine. Um, but we are told by Christ, seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. Our priority is not employment. Our priority is the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, if you do that, all of these things will be added unto you. you um, and it's, I, I see this, it's just shocking how often I see this just lived out in the lives of uh, faith, you know, faithful families that have raised their kids to love God and to serve him, and then suddenly discovering that they are um, really well-employed, have fantastic salaries and beautiful families, um, because you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things are added unto you. And it turns out when you have raised your kid to love God, which means you've raised them to be hardworking, critical thinkers who are um, moral, responsible, they show up on time, they show up sober, they show up, you know, with just general faithfulness, and then it turns out they become favored employees and are actually promoted rather swiftly, and they actually do quite, quite well in the workforce. But they don't do well in the workforce because they were seeking the workforce, they were seeking God, and then God gives them uh, this kind of success. But I think, or as the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? That is our chief end. And that really needs to be our primary focus with education is to raise our kids to love God. I think this is particularly a difficult thing. I would single out the dads in this, particularly Christian dads with their sons. Um, I, I, it's really sad to see fathers prioritize their son's path to a career over their Christian discipleship. And I see this quite often, you know, um, at NSA, we obviously have one of these degrees. We have a degree in liberal arts and culture. It's not a highly vocational kind of degree. And I'll see dads who are really, they're really happy to send their daughters uh, to a school where they're gonna be inculcated in faithfulness, they'll love God and all of that. And then, but then they're very terrified of the idea of sending their sons there. And I, I can think of a number of times sitting there in a conversation with a son and a dad, and the son badly wants to be at a school like NSA because that they love the idea of being in a world where they could thrive with that kind of life. And dad is saying, yes, but what will you do? Like you, you need to have a job. And then dad's constantly pulling their sons back saying, no, you need to have uh, this vocational certification. Now, I want to be really clear. I am not... Um, an advocate of um, college for all. I, I hope that that 
can become clear because I'm, I want to argue that we should lose this expectation that a college degree or any degree really is your pass to get into vocation. And so um, I think that colleges need to quit promising um, something that actually, if you look at the data, we're terrible at delivering. Um, this idea that, that you, know, you register your freshman year uh, with this major, the odds of you being in that career 10 years from now and getting that salary are so slim. They're so slim. And to think that we're promising that, we're making promises that we're not even remotely keeping. Um, it, so, so I think that it's a false promise and we should drop that. And I think that as, as a whole, the idea that you need this degree in order to get this job is a really unhealthy kind of expectation. So it's not college for all. And I'd also argue it's not uh, a school like NSA for all. I think NSA, we fill one particular um, sort of um, um, space. Uh, we are a liberal arts college, but I think there are a lot of other faithful options out there. It's not a one-size-fits-all um, answer. But it is Christ for all. All education really, truly needs to be about pointing our kids to Christ and then knowing that we seek him, we seek his kingdom first, and all these things are added unto you. That's, that really needs to be our priority. I would argue also um, that the American education has become the premier place for the incubation of a certain set of progressive ideals. I think we've already kind of over the last uh, day um, fleshed that out um, um, pretty thoroughly, that, that the, the, the secular education system is really about um, pulling your kids away from the faith. American education, both um, K to 12 and college, is dominated by leftist ideology. Now, part of me wants to say, well, who cares? It's a free country. If you don't like those schools, start your own. And I think that that's a wonderful thing that a lot of people are doing. That's what we're doing. Um, but you should notice how much it's not a free country um, and it's not even a playing, even playing field. Um, things, things, the things that are afoot, there is a real um, strong force where, um, that is pushing everybody into one very particular uh, mold. Uh, Christian colleges have long depended on students using federally subsidized student loans and Pell Grants to pay their tuitions. Um, the, so it's not just the state schools, it's the private Christian schools that rely um, heavily on the federal money. If you, if you look at the budget of a typical private Christian college, um, so not a state school, private Christian evangelical college, if you were to dive deep into their budget, one of the things that you would find would be that the, the single largest stream of revenue for them would be the money that comes in as tuition, but originated as a Pell Grant or a federally subsidized student loan. I uh, refer to that as the Title IV monies. And the Title IV money is the single largest um, stream of revenue for all of these private schools. So the federal money is what's holding up the private Christian colleges. Um, if you were to have to say no to any one of your revenue streams, the single most difficult thing to say no to would be the federal money. But what we've been slowly, what's been slowly happening is all of these strings get put onto the federal money so that you have to 
um, you have to conform to certain ideological claims in order to keep that money coming. Very briefly, Title IX was signed by Nixon in 1972. It prohibits any college uh, that receives federal funding from withholding any educational benefits on the basis of sex. All right, so we wanted to make sure, for instance, if you um, go to a um, college, you have to have as many um, uh, female athlete scholarships as you do have male athlete scholarships because you have to even everything out, uh, all the benefits with regard to sex. Under Obama, and then again under Biden, sex has been reinterpreted to also include sexual orientation and sexual identity. Um, basically, this means that if you take the federal money, you have to let the trans guy use the lady's shower. Okay? Um, if you're taking that money, you, you have to grant the full leftist ideology on sex, gender, sexual orientation, uh, all of those um, questions. I think Christian colleges have argued that they're exempt from this on the basis of their religious convictions. And up to this point, this exemption is held, but this is what is currently under attack and where a lot of this is being adjudicated in the courts right now. Should this battle be lost, most Christian colleges, I think, will not hold this line. Your typical private Christian evangelical college, as I said, gets more money each year from the federal government than from any other source, right? And so what's happening is um, Christian colleges are slowly in this um, position of going through and kind of recrafting their theological commitments in such a way that they'll be able to split the difference on these two things. And these... And these um, uh, these ideologies are, are slowly advancing through um, the, our Christian colleges. And I think that as, it, as that happens there, then you can expect to see it work its way back um, through the, um, in the K to 12. Obviously in the, private, or in the public school system, uh, we're, we're well, uh, well along the way in that. One of the things that I find um, really concerning is um, within the, um, the private uh, Christian school movement, the pressure to um, go towards the charter school model, where it's a it's a private school, but you're getting federal money to make it happen. Um, it makes life a whole lot easier. I know from a from the perspective of somebody who's trying to fund a school that does not avail itself of all the normal funding um, opportunities that other schools have. Um, you know, we're in a private Christian college space that's not taking Pell Grants, it's not taking federal student loans. Um, so how do you make the budget work? You have to be really creative, you have to really stretch things in order to make that work. Um, for if you're in the K-12 space, then that means that you are a parent who is paying property tax to fund the public school and then paying tuition on top of that to fund the school for your own kids. You're having to make an extra significant sacrifice in order to make that happen. The danger is that with the whole charter school movement is it's suddenly you could have that solved. You, you, could, you could have that, that, that tension taken away and it would be so easy to make that budget work. But the difficulty is there's no way that the strings don't get attached to that. And everywhere where I've seen the charter school um, come in and particularly even classical Christian model charter school, the budget got a whole lot easier and the distinctives got a whole lot more bland. And, and, and all the things that, that made this school unique, it, it's all gone. You don't, you don't see that anymore, and it all starts to dissolve. Um, it feels like, what's the big deal? But I think it actually really, truly, um, it really, truly matters. And so 
I think we're seeing this play out right now in the college space, and I think in the next 10 years we'll see it play out in the K-12 space as these pressures um, are encountered there. But, but what, what, I, what I'd like you to see, though, is the way um, the world of education is kind of, it's leveraged to enforce conformity to a godless ideology. And, and if you think about the two points together, the first was we have said, we have said that, um, that, the, that the workforce is closed to you unless you get specific certificates in order to enter. And you have to get the certificate over here. And when you come over here to get the certificate, what you also find is that you have to conform to very particular ideologies in order to get that certificate, right? You have to, you have to be somebody who learns to use the pronoun and who, who the, um, the large guy with the beard, I have to say that's a she because um, I need to get this certificate because I need to get into that job. Right, And so there's a conformity that is required in order to hopefully have a future of employment. So the, the world of education, it enforces this conformity to a godless ideology. And you find that um, Christians are deceived into thinking that the centerpiece of their intellectual formation is vocational certification. And that certification can only be achieved by going through a particular system that will push them into this particular mold. I think this is the thing that is subtly happening all around us. And the thing, the real glory of it is, is how it, it's terrifying at first when you look at it. It's, it's really terrifying because it feels like you're really, really trapped. And it starts to feel really, really hopeless. But what I think is really glorious is seeing where people have had the courage to step back and do something different and to see the way God has blessed it and created something amazing. Um, I um, am so encouraged to see the way students who are given something like the classical Christian education and definitely seeing the students like at New St. Andrews, I suppose this does turn into a little bit of an NSA commercial at this point, but I, I think I've given enough qualifications you know, to, to be okay with that. Um, but to see graduates of our school who are saying, listen, you think, you think there's this machine over there and I have to get permission from you in order to get a job. But the thing is, is this is God's world. This, this is God's world. And you don't need permission to go out and be fruitful in it. Um, that's, that's not something you need certificates in order to go out and be fruitful in God's world. One of the great observations, I think uh, I heard it from my father-in-law, was asking that question um, when the pilgrims first landed on the east uh, shores of the American continent, um, how many jobs were there? Yeah. How many jobs were there? And then, but then asked, but how much work was there? And, and, and um, we need to have that mindset where, where we flip it around and don't look for permission to be uh, accepted into that machine. You have God's world around you. You have God's blessing on you. You serve him and know that if you serve him, all these things are added unto you. And it's really fun seeing people who, um, who are thoroughly educated, 
but not with one vocational certificate. And they go out in the world and they figure out what do we need to do. And it's fun seeing the, the, the crew of NSA graduates just kind of around Moscow and to see the incredible amount of entrepreneurial ingenuity. How many businesses are started in all these crazy different spaces because they're not looking for permission, they're looking for work. Right? They're not looking for a job, they're looking for what's the work that needs to be done. And when you can flip and have that kind of mindset, the world opens up in front of you. But it really requires that we have this transformation and understanding of what is the purpose of this education? What am I trying to do with it? And I, I, would, I would urge you to really prioritize that with our kids, with everything they're doing at school, with their Latin, with their all, all these different subjects, what we're trying to do is make faithful worshipers of Jesus Christ. And it turns out that if you want to really worship Jesus Christ, then um, you are going to tithe, which means you need to be making money so that you can tithe. You want a building to worship in, which means, again, you need to be making money in order to do that. You want a family, which means you need to be industrious. And, and you have this whole life that starts to grow out of your desire to serve him. You have a desire to be a fair employer because you want to treat them as you would be treated. You have a desire and, and you have all these different things that start to be fruitful and start to cause the world to grow simply because you want to just worship this God and you want to enjoy, you want to enjoy him forever. Um, a Christian education then is going back to this, to that first verse that I started with. A Christian education is not carnal. We're not, we're not looking for the mechanisms and the levers that the world offers us and tells us, you have to do this if you want to make that move. You have to get this certificate. You have to get this permission. You have to get this license. You have to get whatever. Our, what we have is not carnal. Um, it, it, the, this carries no promise of a career. There's, there's, there's no promise of a career. But it is mighty. It is made for pulling down strongholds. It is the kind of thing that, um, that, is, that is glorious. I think it's really interesting, again, those, those first pilgrims that came um, across onto the eastern shore of the American continent. I forget the exact math. I did this once, but it was a very short number of years from when the pilgrims um, landed on the eastern shore it's a very short number of years. There's only a few thousand of them on, on, in the colony there. And the, one of the first things they do is that's when they started Harvard. Um, Harvard has started, and it's really crazy. If you, if you ever look at the first, the very initial uh, curriculum for Harvard when it was first launched, and it's crazy because they're doing Greek and, um, sorry, yeah, they're doing Greek and Hebrew. They're not doing Latin because Latin was a prereq. You needed to be fluent in Latin just to get in. And this is pilgrims who just landed on the eastern shore. Um, the, the level of intellectual rigor that was expected of them uh, is shocking and far beyond what's going on in most of our, our graduate schools. But the reason they did that was not because you, you know, you, if you don't get this degree, then, you know, you won't get hired down the street. That's not the way they were thinking. They were thinking in terms of, we want to build the kind of intellectual rigor that will equip us all to glorify God, to, in, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think that's the flip and change in mindset that we desperately need. And I also, I really believe this is something that is um, possible. It's right in front of us. It's commanded of us. And it's something that we should have a hopeful expectation that it would come to fruition, that these institutions that we're building are actually intended to glorify God, to gr um, graduate students who are going to love him forever. Let's close in prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for the glory of the gospel that you've given to us. We pray that we would be faithful with it, that we would particularly think in terms of that gospel as we think about the schools, the education that we're giving to our students, that we would be totally informed and given to that gospel and all of these things, that we'd be uncompromising and and fearless in the way uh, that we fill our schools with a love for you. And praise things in your son's name. Amen.